Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life Podcast. I'm Natalie Britt and I'm a coach, trainer and hypnotherapist. And this week I had the great pleasure of talking to Dr. Tammy Berry, who is an internationally recognized resilience expert and life coach. She helps people to transform their experience of stress into something they can use in much more positive ways. As a former surgeon and also burnout survivor, she's dedicated her life to researching and pioneering a process for building stress resilience that allows people to transform those really high-level stress experiences into a much more powerful force for creating a life they love. This was a fantastically interesting conversation. I learned so much about what burnout is, how it presents, and also the earlier signs to look out for on the road towards actually ending up burnt out. I hope you'll get as much from this conversation as I did, particularly if you are struggling with stress right now. So let's dive in. When, we, when you first reached out and when we first started speaking, you mentioned that you are a surgeon and that you um, you help people learn how to train their brain and nervous system for stress resilience so that they can feel in control, in control of stress. And then when I started doing a little bit more research and I see that you're working in life coaching and you're really helping people manage stress. So, of course... With all of that information, my head put together the picture of what I imagine, how I imagine your story unfolded. But I would love just to hear a little bit about, because I imagine stress much, must feature in your story and that's led you to do this work and realize the power of it. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Yeah, I. so my, my story as, as it relates to pivoting away from my life as a surgeon really came about because of burnout. And burnout really is a stress response that also has the characteristics. So it so it is there's three features of just the burnout response. I'm just going to share with your audience in case anybody I just think it's really important that we understand burnout. Mm. It has the late stages of a stress response, which is exhaustion. It carries with, there are three key features of burnout. One is exhaustion, which is the late phase of a stress response where the body's totally depleted of its own internal resources to meet this stress Mm -hmm. and it shuts down, right? It's like, you can't get out of bed. You're feeling depressed. You're exhausted, fatigued, chronically fatigued, that kind of thing. Um, The second key feature of burnout is a, a, a negative self-concept where you're not able to meet the demands that you usually could meet and you internalize that as there being something wrong with you, right? And so that's loaded with like all kinds of shame. And the third feature of burnout is a lack of self-efficacy which means you're not able to perform in your, in your role, whether that's in any role, right? Like whatever the role is, whether it's a parent, a professional, an entrepreneur, like whatever the role is that you've assigned yourself or you've been trained into, you're not able to meet those demands the way that you used to. And you start, and this is where imposter syndrome, like, just goes into hyper mode, like hyperdrive. And you start losing your confidence. You're riddled with self-doubt. You feel like you don't belong or that this isn't the role for you or that you don't have what it takes. And so this is where burnout becomes incredibly dangerous because yes, it's an extension of a stress response, but it's when your brain runs on stress-based circuitry for too long of a time, it becomes incredibly destructive Mm -hmm. to you as an individual and to your ability to show up in your life the way that you want to. And so this, my burnout actually was a decade ago. It's like crazy to say that. And, and at the time, so this was like in 2012, there wasn't this vernacular, like burnout wasn't a thing. And I so deeply internalized this as something wrong with me 
that I just couldn't hang, that I must have gotten this all wrong, which is very difficult for a surgeon to accept because you've spent so many years, so much money, so much time, so much energy to get to this place. And I was self-medicated. Like I could not deal with this level of pain that I was facing. And I now realize that the accumulation of stress over time that leads to the burnout itself is largely perpetuated by an inability for us to properly process thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are challenging. And so this, these stressors accumulate over time and lead to things like burnout, addiction, whether it's food, alcohol, shopping, gambling, Netflix, you know, like there, there's a whole host of <laughs> choose your pit, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so as I started to recover, like, you know, I, I remember that day so clearly. I remember December 28th of 2012. It was the last time I stepped foot into a hospital system as a surgeon. And I, I knew that my life was going to radically change from that moment going forward. I just didn't know what it was going to look like. I just knew I couldn't be this anymore. And I had, at this point, my alcoholism was really terrible. And so was my amphetamine addiction. It's Adderall. You know, I was abusing Adderall, which is basically like prescribed cocaine for what it does to the body. And I mean, really to be totally candid up until this point, I did not identify myself as suicidal per se, but I had had, I, I had taken so many amphetamines within a 24 hour period then my heart stopped. This was, ter- this, this was deeply troubling and deeply terrifying. And I knew if I didn't stop, like if everything, if this train didn't stop, that this train was going to cry, I was going to die. And so as an act of self-preservation, I had to walk away. And it took me years of, of active recovery, like, teasing out what really happened to me, processing this, and then understanding it. I went to multiple, you know, I went to multiple different traditions. I did the traditional rehab. I did psychotherapy. I did mindfulness. I did um, Tibetan energy healing. I did, right? Like I'm, I'm going all of these different places trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Turns out, if this is your goal, if, you, if you're constantly looking for what's wrong with you, the brain's actually designed to respond to inputs. And so if the input is what's wrong with me, you will always find something wrong with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it took me so many years to realize the right question was, how do I become who I want to be given the givens? Oh my God. So right. yes, that rela- I relate to that so so much because it's I think turning towards the thing you want and where you want your energy to go is such a key part of what turns things around. Totally, totally. And then as soon as I started asking myself that question, mm. I was able to integrate. All, you know, it wasn't that I was on the wrong path Mm. in all of the vast modalities of self-discovery and self-healing that I had been on. It was that I hadn't integrated them into a cohesive whole. And what I eventually discovered is that it's the nervous system itself that needs to be supported and that we have two branches really to our autonomic nervous system and autonomic gets got its name from automatic. These are the, these are the parts of the nervous system that are running the show below our level of conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. And we have the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response, the stress response, which really the fight or flight response we now know is fight, fight, 
flight, freeze, or fawn. And so there's that whole arm of the nervous system. And we've been so exquisitely designed humans. We just, it's, it's incredible. The resilient inner resilience of this, of the human body and the human experience, but we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which lies adjacent to this autonomic nervous system, para meaning adjacent to, and it operates to counterbalance everything that the sympathetic nervous system does. So if we're living in sympathetic overload, what I'm now calling the sympathetic syndrome is when we're living in that state, we are constantly living in a, in a bath of bio, of stress-based biochemicals and hormones that then go on and influence absolutely every cell of the body. And it, and it affects how we think. We do not have access to the full capacity of our brain when we're living in a state of stress. All of our metabolic resources move really centrally in the brain, which are our most primal brain structures. So there's no forward thinking. There's no building relationships with other people. There's no long-term planning. There's a lack of an ability to integrate and synthesize complex pieces of information and put them into a cohesive whole that involves wisdom and intelligence. Like we don't have access to any of that when we're in a sympathetic state. Mm. And when we're in a parasympathetic state, we are have we have full capacity of our brains, right? To balance to process information, to balance emotions, to build healthy relationships, to actually engage in long-term planning, to engage in even our ability to understand our own thoughts and feelings and to change our behavior. All of that requires a healthy parasympathetic nervous system. And it took me a long time to realize this. And then the health benefits are profound. The the body goes into a state of restoration and reparation when it's in parasympathetic dominance, all the way down to the level of the genes that get transcribed by your DNA. So this is really important stuff in the sense that when we're in a sympathetic state, it's actually a pro-inflammatory state. Inflammation is the key first stage of every disease process in the body. So inflammation is so important. And it's, it has a role in every disease process, from heart disease to diabetes to cancer. To, it all is working through the inflammatory process and our ability to defend and protect ourselves from those disease states is compromised when we're living in a state of stress mm-hmm. because we are so powerful. Mm. We're so powerful. Our minds are so powerful, but stress has this incredible ability to make the brain incredibly deceptive. And we don't have the ability to properly resource ourselves in mind and body, when we're in this perpetual state of stress. Mm-hmm. There was a Gallup uh, study done in 2019. Well, the study was released in April 2019. The study was done in 2018, and it hasn't been done since. But at that time, the majority of people in industrialized nations were experiencing stress more than 50% of the time mm-hmm. of their waking hours. So that might not sound like a lot, like, oh, half the time, like that's, that's not so bad. But when you pair this with this information that we're designed to spend less than 5% of our waking hours in a stress state without there being incredible dysregulation or dysfunction in the brain and the body, now you start to kind of understand the the problem, the scope of the problem with. So we're carrying 10 times the amount of stress we're designed to cope with. Yes. Okay. That's really interesting. Which is why we have maladaptive coping mechanisms Mm. because we are not designed to thrive and flourish under these conditions. No, no, we are not. not. And then we blame ourselves, right. For the, for, for, 
for the maladaptive coping mechanisms that we have, because we're still animals. Let's be very clear about this. We still have core needs that need to be. And if we're every biological organism will avoid pain, right? So if you're eating and you're drinking is your avoidance of pain. I'm here to say, congratulations, you're human and you don't have to live that way. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. So, oh my goodness, I have about 9,000 questions (laughs) off the back of what you just said. So going right back, um, the the three key features of burnout, I did not know that. Um, I like like clean things like that when you can say these three things, look for these, they're hallmarks. That's a good indicator. Um, I have a couple of questions about that. So is there... Like once people really burn out, they tend to know about it and that can be the catalyst. But how do you know? Is it, is it like one of the hallmarks shows up first and now you know you're on the road? Or like at what point should people be going, oh, that's a warning sign. That's I'm in a stress response. How do we know? Mm-hmm. that it's not just everyday life and we you know how people just kind of carry on and think well everybody feels this way and so they just push and push and push um what are the signs that you want people to know about to go no 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 it's not normal or it is normal but it's still going to take you down if you keep going this way be aware your body is sending you an alarm signal pay attention like, what what do those look and feel and sound like So that is a really important question. And if there was one succinct answer, I would be (laughs) delighted to share it. You know, I'd be screaming it from the mountaintops. Like this is this, you know, this is your warning sign. But I think what you said at the very back end of that question is the real answer. And that is, are we paying attention to the warning signs? Because we do not have a respectful relationship Mm. with our bodies. Mm. We have very much a command and control relationship with our bodies where, and I'm, you know, I, I, I've done this a lot in my life. I mean, that's how I got through surgical residency, right? Like I was commanding and control, you know, I would sometimes go 17 hours without eating or sleep, certainly not sleeping. I sometimes went days without sleep and, without using the bathroom, right? Like I I was constantly denying my human needs Mm -hmm. for the pursuit of of this goal, right? And that's one extreme example, but I think our culture does this. So the warning signs, we're getting them all of the time. And if you're hearing this and a part of you is stirring that says, yeah, I need to pay attention. I just want to encourage you to not ignore that voice mm. because each of us knows, each of us is a wisdom keeper of this own life, of our own life experience. And if you're wondering, oh, am I burning out? You probably aren't because if you're burning out, you're going, you're, the, the question you're entertaining is, how do I stop this? What's wrong with me? How did I get it so wrong? You have internalized, you have internalized this shame into into there being something wrong with you and there being something wrong with the choices of your life. And people that are in burnout sometimes don't know that. So if so if that's you, if you've begun doing this, where you start thinking, oh my gosh, I just have so much on my plate. I don't know if I can handle this to, if that's the conversation you're overextended, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but if you're overextended and you're exhausted, which is a late stage stress response, and you haven't yet turned on yourself, like you still feel that the roles that you serve are good inherently good and you still feel that you are inherently good then you don't have burnout as soon as you start thinking that the work that you've dedicated your life to is no longer beneficial to you or other people or you think that you as a person 
are somehow defective. You've internalized this. You've, you, you are suffering from burnout. And that's like, that needs immediate attention. Burnout is brain damage. If you are at this stage of overwhelming stress, your brain is damaged. It is really important that you get the support that you need to build resilience. And we now know we can build resilience. The brain is constantly being remodeled and remolded and reshaped. Mm-hmm. Just because you've damaged certain neural networks doesn't mean this amazing capacity of the human brain does not have what it takes to build you. You can rebuild that resilience and you can go about any goal that you have in front of you. You just have to do it in a different way. Okay. So, okay. So coming to that um, turning on yourself thing, that part is something that features in my work very heavily, but I never have touched on burnout before. So I'm really interested to know, does that feeling that uh, kind of turning on yourself feature outside of burnout too? Can you have that on its own? Yes, most definitely. Okay. okay. It is, however, still on the it is a feature of a stress response. Yes. So it's important for us to, I think, also recognize that this is also just part of the human condition. You know, burnout is not a clinical diagnosis Mm -hmm. because it has been identified as a human response. It's a human response. It's not a pathological state, right? It's, It's not a disease state. It's actually how we're designed. And so my interest is empowering people to understand how they're designed mm-hmm. so that they can work with this stress, you know, understanding the stress response. Yeah. My clients get biofeedback monitors so that they can know in real time whether they're sympathetic or parasympathetic dominant. Mm-hmm. And they learn how to build coherence within mm-hmm. the nervous system itself. And as you build this capacity, you also, I mean, biofeedback, there's nothing more important than feedback, right? There's like that, that real time feedback. And then, and then what you can do is over time, you build this ability to go, oh, wow. Once you want to know what it feels like to be parasympathetic dominant, so many of us don't even know what that is. I had been meditating and, and studying what I thought, like studying recovery and whole health and well-being for years before I finally figured out this nervous system component. Mm. And I still, I still train myself every day. I still do this. Like, and, and this is, this is part of my ongoing practice because I am so interested now in uncovering the beliefs and the thoughts that are driving my stress response. Mm-hmm. I am fascinated with this because I do now realize that that stress response is separates me from my greatest potential as a human being. Yeah. And I want to be able to transform it. I want to use this as fuel, mm-hmm. right? I want to use this as fuel to be for, for self growth, self transformation. Like I don't want to miss these signs. Yeah. These signs are important feedback. There's so much intelligence here. And our nervous system has been designed this way. Like when we're in a stress response versus when we're, when we're not, this is important feedback that mm-hmm. we want to harness and cap. Like that awareness to go, oh, I'm going to look upstairs. What am I really thinking right now? What am mm-hmm. I feeling? What? And what's also very interesting is that the stress response becomes addictive itself mm-hmm. because there's norepinephrine, epinephrine, cortisol. These are all very addictive biochemicals to the human body. Mm-hmm. And when we're living in a state of stress, we alter the set point of the brain and the body. The body loves habits mm-hmm. and it loves set points, right? And so if it's used to a high level of stress, actually as the as cortisol begins to drop, as norepinephrine, noradrenaline, as adrenaline, as these things begin to drop, the body can signal to the brain hey, we don't have the biochemical soup we're used to seeing here. Mm. Something must be wrong, you know, and it sends a signal to the brain. Now the brain is looking for stress to activate that response. If we don't understand this relationship, then Mm. we can't take ourselves 
out of this spiral because we want to support the brain and the body in creating a new set point. And we want to do that progressively over time. And then we start getting into, you know, low coherence um, states are things like anger, frustration, depletion. Shame is at the very bottom of all of that, Mm -hmm. right? High coherent states are things like joy, love, appreciation. So as we become increasingly stressed, joy, love, appreciation feel further and further away. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like when you catch a glimpse of them, it's, it's like that fresh air that you've been wondering where it's been this whole time. Like, oh, what is that? Like when you suddenly laugh, like real deep laughter and you have that joy. I mean, I remember having those moments where I'm like, whoa, I'm so disconnected from that, that that sensation is even like my whole body's one. Like I'm wondering what, what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and we thrive, like our greatest potential as people flourishes when we're connected when we're in a high coherent state when we're feeling things like love and appreciation and joy and they live in very different neural regions of the brain and certainly have very different biochemical footprints in the body right okay so again i'm gonna try and trace back because another nine thousand questions um so, okay, if, if I understood correctly what you said, um, like we get, we're getting this feedback, um, we'll be getting information from the body if we're not wearing any kind of or using any kind of biofeedback marker or um, monitor, we can look out for signs like exhaustion, negative self-concept, um, lack of self-efficacy. So we start the, any, any of those will point us towards, okay, you're going into something, something's not right. And it might not necessarily be that you are stressed by something, but your body is dealing with some kind of stress. So that could be food. It could be your work. It could be like, it could be all kinds of things, right? So it doesn't have to be a specific thing that you know, okay, that is a stressful thing. Just if you happen to experience these markers, these experiences, your body is experiencing stress and that is a given. Yes? I got so the, fr- the three things that you mentioned, mm-hmm. the exhaustion, the turning on yourself, yeah. and the loss of self-efficacy, the inability mm-hmm. to show up to do the jobs that you've ordained that you want to do Mm -hmm. those are the three signs of burnout that's the burnout response yeah but are those so a stress response so a stress response there are subtler signs so let's talk about the mind okay a mind that's stressed is um sometimes feeling frenzied confused um anxious Mm -hmm. overwhelmed frustrated angry contracted Okay. The physical manifest. So then there's feelings, right? So those, that was kind of mind and feeling because the feeling of frustration, the feeling of overwhelm, the feeling of anxiety. Okay. It's interesting because anxiety can also be a brain state and a feeling in the body. It's like nervous energy. And then we have like physical manifestations that can show up like um, an increased heart rate. A full-on panic attack is the body telling you that it's in an overwhelming stress response. Yeah. But then by that point, I would hazard that even somebody who knows nothing about stress, if they're having a panic attack, knows that they're stressed. Something is really wrong. Really? I, mean, I remember my first panic attack that landed me in the emergency room. I thought I was dying. I didn't know it was. I'm a doctor. <laughs> and I didn't know I was having a panic attack. I literally, I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought this has to be, like, this is impending death. Yeah. Right. The, the crushing sensation on my chest and the inability to breathe. You know, like, I don't want to minimize panic attacks at all. Um, and I also don't want to assume that people actually know that that's what they're experiencing. Um, because okay. I certainly didn't, and I'm a pretty well-educated person. Okay. Um, but also like, you know, sweaty, sweaty palms, a tightness in your throat. Everybody has a slightly different physical pro- 
a, a bio psycho physical profile mm-hmm. of what stress looks like for you. And I would say know yours, right? Okay. Like have an understanding of how stress shows up for you. Is it gripping the steering wheel? Is it tightness in your shoulder? A lot of us carry it in our neck and our mm-hmm. jaw and our shoulders. These are really common places for tension to accumulate and just being mm-hmm. able to notice Oh yeah. Or when your breath gets really short and fast, like you're breathing very quickly mm-hmm. and not very deeply, that's a really common sign of a stress response. So once you kind of understand this, it's really important to be able to go, to be able to recognize kindly, like, Oh, I am experiencing stress right now. This is a stressful time. We want to befriend ourselves in that moment, mm. right? This is this is the this is the sign that 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 this part of you needs your own kindness, mm. and so give it, give yourself mm. kindness, and then soothe yourself in the healthiest way that's available to you at the time. So if it's just saying, "Oh, love, you are so stressed right now," and take a deep breath, mm-hmm. take a deep breath, right? Um, there are some like kind of bio, there are some biohacks that you can do. You could tap right on the center of your sternum mm-hmm. are some pressure points that help activate the parasympathetic nervous system. The vagus nerve is the largest parasympathetic nerve of the body. Mm-hmm. And you can activate that with um, like humming to yourself, humming, singing, um, even like gargling that activates the parasympathetic response. Um, so there are ways that we can, we can kind of, we can modulate, you know, we can, we can strengthen the, the activation of this parasympathetic nervous system and really give our build inner resilience. That's what we're doing when you do that. And then there are some fun, like kind of like distant, like just keep taking your focus of vision a little bit further out because when we are in a state of stress, we become very, we have tunnel vision. We're really looking in the near range. Mm -hmm. And I also want to make it very clear that these, these biohacks we want to do with like incredible amounts of self-love and Mm self-kindness, because if you were really, in a state of stress and you started using any of these practices, you don't want to confuse your body. You know, like if you, if there's really something stressful going on that requires your attention, you want to give it that attention and yourself that attention. Mm. And then, you know, so, so I just wanted to insert that in there because like I was saying before, this command and control relationship with the body, I teach people, how to, if you were to misuse my teachings, you could carry on with this command and control relationship with your body. Yeah. But you wouldn't find things like deep fulfillment. You will not find things like living your passion and your purpose. Right. Because Mm -hmm. those are, those require a different level of wisdom and intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I've prized my brain. Like my intellect has been my driving force for so many years. And it's a misguided way of life. We need intelligence. We need the intelligence of all of us. And there's so much intelligence in our heart space. There's so much intelligence in our gut. And we've never been taught how to listen to that. And we definitely focus on the mind so much that we throw everything else out of whack, I think. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you said something um, during that that was kind of so dear to me as well um, about the ability to, to recognise these things with kindness because I think that was something else and I think it also kind of ties in with what you said right at the beginning about those three markers of burnout like myself and and actually quite a lot of people I know when experiencing stress kind of saw it as a weakness. Like there's, I should be able to cope with this. The reason I can't cope with this is because I'm not good enough to do this. 
Um, other people can do it. Other people are managing. My colleagues are managing. The people I aspire to be like, they are managing. In fact, they are thriving in this and I'm not. So I need to find a way to push through. It's like the almost like the stress is an inconvenience, not a sign. It's just a blooming pain in the bum and it needs to move out of the way. So you're like, right, how do I power this thing out of the way so I can carry on running rather than actually thinking, why am I running? Like, what am I running to? What am I running from? Where did the need to run come from in the first place? And we don't ask those questions. We just keep running, trying to figure out what, you know, stress is slowing me down. I need to speed up. And certainly for me, that made me not soothe. That made me rather judge myself. Um, And so quite a lot of the early signs, I think not only did I, it's not that I missed them. It's that I used them to further stress myself (laughs) rather than finding a way to, to manage. Now you've mentioned a couple of things. So you mentioned tapping the sternum. So is that, so you're just basically on the, on the breastbone and you tap with the tips of your fingers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keep doing that for what? 30 seconds, a minute. You, you can feel it in less than 30 seconds if, okay. you, if you've got your right spot there. Yeah. Okay. And you gave us some tips for vagus nerve and maybe goggling or doing things like that to help. Humming. Humming, humming is one of my singing. favorites. Like now I'm humming while I'm cooking and I'm humming. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. So, my little three-year-old is humming along with me. Uh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> if you've got somebody, let's say, you know, somebody's listening to this and they are well on the way to burnout. Um, and they're like, you know, I can sit and tap or I can do these things, but actually like I'm lying awake at night, I'm on the verge of panic attacks or I'm already having panic attacks. I can't leave my job. I I can't stop because like my house, I'm the only income and so on and so on. Like the whole thing, everything's meshed in together and they know they're stressed they feel completely stuck. They don't know what to do. What would you say? Like, where where does somebody begin when they are under no misapprehension? They totally understand they're completely stressed, but so far, like, nothing's worked or they don't know what to try. Yeah. Um, I would say, find me. Come work with me. Um, the nervous system training that I use within 21 days can balance the nervous system. Okay. And the benefits of a balanced nervous system are profound in terms of the way that we even perceive stress. So a stressed brain has the incredible ability to perceive more stress. Mm. And when we become when we develop inner balance, when we develop this ability to strengthen the parasympathetic nervous system, you can alter the way that the brain utilizes resources and processes information. Our nervous system is incredibly important. We don't understand. Like the average person has no understanding of the importance of their nervous system. For the longest time, we thought that this was like the brain contained the majority of the neurons. It was a top-down control mechanism. Everything goes down the spinal cord to the rest of the peripheral nerves. End of story. But what we now know is that upwards of 80% of the communication that's taking place in the nervous system is bi-directional in nature, which means 80% of the signals that are coming into your brain are coming from your body. And we are disconnected from this intelligence, Mm. but the nervous system isn't. So we can be disconnected or disassociated from our bodies, from our lived experience, but the, but the nervous system and the brain isn't not. And it becomes really important for us to also recognize that if you want to think of this as your nervous system is like the internet, it is the massive communicator of your entire being and body. And those signals are constantly going back and forth. 
And so nervous system health is really like whole body health. It really is. And that we can develop coherence between our heart and our brain. And there are 40,000 neurons that surround and encase the heart. Mm. There's a heart brain. And when we can tap that, we can use that intelligence to balance the brain that is so stressed. So in a way, we're, we're like reverse engineering. We're, we're, take, we're taking control of the nervous system in the periphery, and we're using it to balance the brain. This is awesome stuff. And yeah. then from there, we're able to do the perspective shifting work that really has to take place is how do I want to feel about my work? How do I want to feel about my life? How do I want to feel about my kids? How do I want to feel about my spouse? These are questions that we don't even entertain when we're stuck in that stress because we're thinking, how do I survive? Yeah. How do I get through today? And you, you nailed it when you said stress is an inconvenience. I felt that way about all of my emotions. Every stressful thought and every stressful emotion was so inconvenient and could not be tolerated. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would do anything I could to command and control those things. Mm -hmm. And I disconnected myself from the incredible wisdom and intelligence that these things carry. These are not accidents. Our nervous system, our bodies are so exquisitely designed. There is so much intelligence here. Mm -hmm. And we will become more intelligent as we learn how to work with thoughts and feelings and emotions as intelligent feedback that are telling us how we feel. How close are we to thriving and how far are we away from that? Like how close are we to just merely surviving? Absolutely. Okay, so I want to ask you one last question. I actually yeah. want to ask you hundreds of questions, but I'm going to keep it to one last question. Um, some of the things you've talked about have made me think about the way we teach the management of emotions. Um, because I think a lot of us have ended up in a kind of, in a bit of a bind because of how we were raised to think about emotions. Um, and I see it a lot, even, you know, I, I know this stuff, I train this stuff, I am constantly evolving and constantly paying attention, and I can still be kind of inconvenienced by my kids' emotional states when it's like, we've got three minutes to get ready, does this have to happen now? Like, just do what needs to be done, put your shoes on, this is not a moment to have a meltdown about having to pull a piece of Velcro over your foot. Um, but you know, they have these emotions. Um, and I think when we're not taught how to manage, like you said, like this incredibly powerful, I don't know, piece of machinery, that's the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean? Um, all of this power that we hold within us, but that seems to be guided quite a lot by the emotions. And right from an early age, we are often taught to either ignore or hide or belittle or pretend when it comes to our emotional health and it comes to our emotional expression, which I think is part of what leads us into the states we get into where we judge ourselves for being stressed and we find it inconvenient. So there's a very long way to finally get to my question, which is what advice would you offer parents about how how we teach this stuff or how we role model it for our kids so that when their emotions play, they know how to read the signs. When they experience stress, they know how to respect the signs. Mm, that is such a great question. And I'm not going to pretend that I have this, that I, that I uh, practice this a hundred percent of the time because um, I'm human, but there's two things I want to raise here. One is our children need our nervous systems because their frontal lobe, which is the part of the cortex that is the last thing to develop in humans. It's the most important part of the brain in terms of processing information and integrating emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's our the front, children, just behind the forehead, yes? Just behind the forehead, yes. Okay. That doesn't fully develop 
in the female in, in females at the age of 23 in males at the age of 25. Okay. Okay. So they don't have a fully integrated nervous system yet. Mm -hmm. They need ours to learn how to process their own thoughts, feelings, emotions in the world. We in America right now, we have an epidemic of anxiety. We have over 25% of kids age 13 to 18 with diagnosable anxiety right now, which means their parents are anxious. They do not have a balanced nervous system in their home upon which to self-regulate through. And nobody's talking about this. We're just medicating them. Do both <laughs> parents so need it or can, is one parent One enough? person. We okay. only need one coherent nervous system in a family to help balance the nervous systems of everyone in the home. It is, wow. a, it is powerful. Okay. And along those lines, in addressing your specific question, which was how do we, how do we model this? for our kids. And I would say we model it for our kids. We, I'm going through the same thing with my daughter, where if I'm having a reaction to her behavior, I'm telling her, mommy's feeling really frustrated right now that you're not following directions and that we're not getting out of the house. And she'll stop in her tracks and look like, you have emotions, you know, like, like, and this is like news to her every time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm having an emotional reaction to your emotional reaction and not blaming her, just saying, I'm feeling this right now. And we give them permission to own their feelings. Mm -hmm. And there's like a wonderful um, Daniel Tiger episode about emotions. And like, you know, if you if you get so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath. And count to four, and we count one, two, three, four. And, and so we work on that. Like this is this is part of the language of life is understanding our emotions. And mm -hmm. really, I have to say that having my daughter has been an incredible gift in that department because they cycle through emotions so quickly. And and I'm just figuring out mine and I'm watching her cycle through five. Mm. <laughs> And it's a wonderful, she's a wonderful teacher because it's helping me develop my own emotional yeah. agility to yeah. understand, oh, this is the emotion I'm feeling right now. And to also use my words. I mean, this is what I say to my three-year-old, use your words. You know, we're not going to hit and scream. We're going to use our words. Internally, I'm hitting and screaming, Yeah, right? I might not <laughs> be outwardly hitting and screaming, but that energy I've internalized, which is probably even more dangerous. It's getting comfortable naming them, having language around them, being comfortable experiencing them and seeing them. And energy, you know, emotions are energy in motion. They want to move. An mm. emotion will last 90 seconds unless it is held in place by perpetual thought. Mm. So we've, you know, we can be, we can endure any 90 seconds. All right, I can endure pain for 90 seconds, right? Like we yeah. want to feel our emotions and we want to open to them. We don't want to resist them. We don't want to fight against them. And we want to open to them and, and ask them what they're here to teach us. Yeah. What are you here to show me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember reading that from Joan Rosenberg, The 90 Seconds, and I was quite, quite surprised. Um, that wasn't something, you know, if you'd asked me, I would have said hours, days sometimes that can stick around. 90 seconds? What? Um, and I can't say that 100% of the cases I've mastered that. I'd probably say less than 50% I can get through a cycle of an emotion in 90 seconds if it's a big one. But I think knowing that, again, if you can put down the stick, you know, if, if a part of you is going, I should have been able to let this go for not after 90 seconds and I can't, then, yeah, it's probably going to carry on for a while. But I think it just it just gives us more information to work with, doesn't it? Intelligent information. Yeah, very that much. That was so. designed for your benefit. Yeah. Like, I just want people to know everything you're experiencing, everything you're going through, this humanness that you're trying to rally against, it's actually here for you. Yeah. Right. It's not happening to you. I used to think that about life. Life is happening to me. And now I think life, life is happening for me and through me. What a different perspective. Very much. Yeah. And that also, I think, though, oof. You know, at the beginning of my journey, when I was feeling burnt out, I didn't know that that's what it was. But what you've just described, those three hallmarks, 
I, I didn't know that. So in that stage, if somebody had said to me, this is happening for you, I'd have been like, yeah, you need to get out of my face. <laughs> but I, now, now I see that, but I think, I, I think in many cases, some of those layers have to peel away first before you get to that part. It's a bit like what you were saying about the vibration of like of anger and frustration, the vibration of joy and harmony. They're so far apart. And I think the everything is happening for me thing vibrationally is quite high up on the scale. And so, you know, if people are listening to this and thinking I'm not there at all, that's cool. It's totally, it, it, you know, it, that can, come. are you willing to entertain the possibility yes, yeah. that that's true? Yeah. Whenever I, whenever I'm introduced to a perspective shift that kind of rocks me, mm. that's totally different than what I'm currently experiencing. I like to ask myself, am I willing to consider it? Do I like that idea? That's good. Because if I, like, I like the idea of something, that's how I know that then I have belief work to do to get yeah. closer to it. I love that. I love that. Thank you. That's really helpful. Tammy, thank you so much. It's been a huge, huge pleasure talking to you. What an eye-opener this conversation was. It's so incredible how so many of us just you know, keep going in the face of all the signs, all the signals that are telling us it's time to do something different. I really hope this conversation got you thinking about perhaps some of the ideas, some of the perspective shifts that might be available, some of the things that will allow you to question beliefs you might hold or habits you're running or things you're doing in everyday life that might be keeping that stress response alive and that potentially this episode has opened new alternatives for you, new paths to explore, new ways to experience life. If you are interested in reaching out to Tammy and doing some of the amazing work that she does in your life, then you'll find everything you need on the show notes page, which you can find at bighappylife.co.uk. As always, you can comment there and ask questions if you would like to. And you can also visit the Big Happy Life page on Facebook if you would like to comment or ask questions there. If you've enjoyed the episode and you're enjoying listening to the podcast, it would be fantastic if you could leave a review. That always helps attract new listeners. And likewise, if you think you know somebody who may benefit from listening to the information in this episode, please do share it with them. And if there are particular things you would love to learn about or have future episodes recorded about then send me an email to natalie at bighappylife.co.uk and let me know what it is you'd like to know more about, something that would help you feel more in control, help you weather the tough stuff, or help you be a great role model for your kids. What is it that you'd like to hear more about? I'll give you a shout out on that episode and we'll get some experts on to talk to us about the things that you need to hear more about. For now though, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.